Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Winbolt and this is Get a Better Handle on Life. If you ever feel that life's a bit difficult or that you find yourself struggling to keep up with the demands that are facing you on a daily basis, then you're not alone. There are an infinite number of challenges we have to tackle in life and we often come unprepared and that's why I produce this podcast. In each episode, I deliver expert insights, practical advice and real-life examples to help you get a better handle on your life. Some of this comes from me and some from the inspiring people I'm in conversation with. I came to this topic, conventional wisdom, helped by former colleague and friend of mine, Eric Marshall. You can hear Eric's story in a previous episode of the podcast. He was talking about how in his early training, in his chosen profession, accountancy, he'd often ask a question about why something was done a certain way. And he'd come up with the standard answer of, well, that's just the way we've always done it, or just that's, that's just how it is, something like that. So I'd like to thank Eric for, for triggering this thought in me, and uh, I thought I'd put out a podcast because I come up against it too, and nowhere is it more apparent, actually, than in psychology. Um, but that's a story for another day. Conventional wisdom is often considered to be a default way of thinking or acting in a particular culture or society, but while it can provide a sense of stability and safety, it can also stifle creativity and limit possibilities. One of the main ways it does this is by limiting our imagination. When we accept certain beliefs and assumptions as true, we may be less likely to question them or to explore alternative perspectives. For example, if we believe that success can only be achieved through hard work and sacrifice, we may be less likely to consider alternative paths to success that may require less effort, but more creativity and innovation. I see this quite often with people who are suffering from stress because they want to do the best they can and they have a certain set of values handed down to them by their training or their life experience. And so when they run up against a problem, instead of stepping back and thinking creatively about it, they tend to push ever harder, believing that if they just work hard enough, they'll be able to get to their goal. But of course, it isn't always like that. As I was saying, when people accept these beliefs without questioning, they might be less creative. And this can lead to reduced curiosity and exploration about alternative ideas, leading to a closed-minded approach that limits creativity and innovation. By encouraging critical thinking and questioning, we can challenge conventional wisdom and open up new possibilities for growth and progress. Another way in which conventional wisdom can limit possibilities is by creating a sense of groupthink. When everyone in a particular culture or society believes the same things and acts in the same way, it can be difficult to break out and consider alternative approaches. This, of course, leads to a lack of variations and diversity of thought and a reluctance to change the status quo or to challenge a situation. In a more local and a simpler version of this, it may be that in a meeting you have an idea but you don't dare bring it up because it seems like you're not conforming with what the rest of the group is saying. But consider this. Breakthroughs and progress are not made by thinking like everybody else. They're made by stepping outside 
And it's precisely because we step outside the conventional way of doing things that we can open up the possibility to ourselves of doing something different and discovering something new. I'm not saying that it's always required to do that or even advisable to do that, but we should certainly be able to do that. And one way to start that type of conversation with yourself might be to ask yourself, what if? A very simple question. What if I were to do this or that? Just brainstorm it by yourself for a time or with a group if you're working with a group. Hey guys, let's just ask what if. Let's think about some impossible outcomes or impossible situations or impossible routes that we might try or ideas that we've considered impossible and ask, but what if they weren't impossible? What if we could do that? You might be very surprised by the result. Spiritual coach and mentor Nina Amir says, what if is a powerful question to ask yourself. In fact, the answer to that question can spark the vision of a new reality, a new experience of yourself and of life. You see, she says, when you ask yourself what if, you allow yourself to imagine something different. And as that vision gets more and more detailed, your mind begins to play with the idea and to generate solutions and ways to make it real. I'd add, personally, I use it a lot with my clients, and I'd add that it does far more than that. It actually allows you to think in a way you otherwise wouldn't think. It's far more than simply two simple words, what if. It actually sparks a journey which connects neurons with neurons in a way that you'd never even considered, and all sorts of things can happen as a result. Another thing I've noticed, by the way, is that when I ask people that question, it doesn't all happen in an instant. That question goes on working long after I've stopped speaking to them, and quite often they'll come back to me a week or two later with some spark of insight, some new question, some different perspective on things, which I often think wouldn't have happened without that question. So, dare to step outside the norm, notice conventional wisdom when it's taking over, and ask yourself, ah, yes, but what if, and take it from there. Another downside of conventional wisdom is that it can limit possibilities by creating a sense of fear or resistance to change. That's because when we're comfortable with a, way, a certain way of doing things, of course it saves us thinking. It's pretty handy, conventional wisdom. You know, this is the way we've always done it. We'll keep to do it this way. I can do it on autopilot, all that sort of thing. And in some cases, that's absolutely fine. But the problem is, when we're comfortable with a certain way of doing things, we may be resistant to new ideas or new ways of doing things. And again, I'd go a bit further and say, we're not exercising our creative imagination. So we tend to become, well, we get stuck in a rut. We tend to become less creative over time if we're not flexing those intellectual muscles or those creative muscles in that way. Muscles is, of course, a metaphor here. We don't actually have a creative muscle, but you get my drift. When this sort of process takes over, by the way, it can be difficult to introduce new ideas. It gets to a point where new products, for example, in a, in a company or services or change to existing ones uh, to better meet the demands of the public or the consumers is 
are actually harder to achieve. And so sometimes we have to, as we say, go back to the drawing board or step aside and allow ourselves free reign. Conversely, if we don't, it can stifle creativity and discourage risk-taking and experimentation. When people invest in a particular way of doing things, they may be reluctant to try new approaches or take risks that could lead them to failure as they perceive it. Now, anybody truly creative knows that failure is part of the process. You sling all the mud pies at the wall to see which ones will stick. But if you never throw a mud pie, you're never going to get any that stick. If you simply serve up what's been used before, well, there's no real progress, is there? And if it's innovation and progress that you want, you need to explore new possibilities, not just go with the flow. Conventional wisdom can, of course, provide, it's not all bad, it can provide a, a sense of stability, security, it forms the basis of tradition, traditional ways of doing things, practices, and so on. And all of that's pretty useful. But it has to be recognised that it comes at a cost, and that is creativity and opening up the mind to possibilities. To overcome this, it's important to be open to new ideas, perspectives and approaches, and to challenge our assumptions and beliefs. We should never be afraid of challenging our assumptions and beliefs, by the way. Isn't it amazing how many people train for a profession and then stop studying, stop learning. They get comfortable in the job and they just don't keep up with the latest research or new developments. And perhaps there's a good reason for that because we don't like change. And if I'd been in my profession 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it happens to be, I'm not going to take kindly to somebody who comes along and says there's a new way of doing this or a better way of doing this. But I know from my own experience and the experience of colleagues I work with, we constantly have to do that if we want to be effective. We should never be so in love with our own theories that we are unable to change them or question them or challenge them. And I'll come on to critical thinking in a minute. If we can do that, we can foster a culture of innovation and progress and unlock possibilities and opportunities for ourselves and, of course, our communities and even society. Now, I touched on critical thinking, which can be applied in parallel with conventional wisdom. It doesn't mean, by the way, critical thinking doesn't mean being critical. It means turning an idea over, examining it from all possibilities and the pros and the cons and thinking critically about the experience of whatever we're doing. And as I said, it can be applied in parallel with conventional wisdom by using it as a tool for questioning and evaluating commonly accepted beliefs and practices. There are many famous stories about this. The one I particularly like is the ashram cat. There's an ashram, where, which of course was in India in this case, in this story. The ashram was um, whenever the, the faithful were called to prayer, there was a little cat. They'd tie it with a piece of string. They'd put a collar around its neck and tie it to a post at the front of the room. And that was part of the tradition. And one of the students came along one day and said, well, why is it? What's the significance of the cat? And the person leading the prayer meeting couldn't answer, so they went to one of the elders, and the elder said, I don't know, that happened when I came here, and that was over 80 years ago, so um, maybe you need to ask my predecessor, and astonishingly, he's over 100, but he's still alive, and he's living in his cave up in the hills or wherever he lives, why don't you go and ask him? And so the young man did that, went up, sought the person out, found him in his place of resident in his elderly retirement and said, you know, what's the significance of the cat? I'm trying to find out. 
And the elderly, elderly man said, well, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. Have they still got that cat? I said, well, not the same one, but they keep, every time a cat dies, they replace it. He said, well, that started years and years ago when I was a very young man. We had a cat in the ashram and it used to love playing with us, with the monks and with the visitors. But it could be a bit scratchy and a bit spiteful sometimes once it got playing. And if you've got cats or a cat, you'll know how they can do this. Once they get excited, uh, you know, it can get a bit dodgy. So we tied the cat up to this stake at the front of the room, this post in the ground, to keep it away from us while we were praying. I didn't realise when that cat passed on they'd replaced it. And so the cat had become part of the tradition. Nobody knew in the current setting the origins of that tradition. It became a part of the perceived wisdom or the conventional wisdom of running a prayer meeting. So you have to consider that very often these things grow up for the most bizarre reasons and they pass into common practice. And then of course, the origins are forgotten, but people keep on doing them and they serve no useful purpose at all. So critical thinking in that case took the young man on a journey to discover the origins of a tradition. And rather than accepting the wisdom, he followed it up. And he wasn't rejecting the wisdom outright, but he was thinking critically and analysing and evaluating in a thoughtful and systematic way. If you're involved in critical thinking like this, it can mean asking questions about the underlying assumptions and evidence, obviously examining alternative perspectives and considering the potential consequences of different approaches. By thinking strategically in this way, we can challenge the wisdom where necessary and identify opportunities for innovation and progress, while still benefiting from the collective wisdom in the past, it says in the books. Now, there's another point I'd raise at this point, which is something I've seen happen in business a lot over the years, which is that when somebody tries to invoke this process of critical thinking, say in a meeting about a proposed course of action, they're quite often shot down because they're seen as being critical of the process. So I think if you're going to do that, it's worth prefacing it by saying something like, hang on a minute, guys, what if, well, we're back to that question again, but also making it understood, helping others to understand that you're not actually shooting down the idea, but you're thinking more widely about what you're about to undertake. After all, that's what progress and growth are all about. You can't grow and progress by standing still. And conventional wisdom often involves well, if not standing still, at least not moving in any new directions, which of course is very important. Ultimately, if you're using this critical line of thought, then the goal is to strike a balance between respecting the values of conventional wisdom or the value of the conventional ideas and being open to new ideas and approaches. Now, there's probably a lot more I could say about conventional wisdom, but the key point I want to convey here is that there are always ways of doing things that we inherit. And many of them, we inherit them unconsciously. We don't realise that we're doing what was always done simply because that's always the way it's been done, because we've never stood back and thought about it in any other way. But we need to be free to do that in our own minds. That helps benefit us in our own growth, but it will also help benefit the system, the culture, the organisation that we work in. We will be held back by fear, 
or by uh, being perceived as somebody who's not conforming or somebody who is being afraid of being judged as somebody who's being critical. But that doesn't have to be the case if you present your ideas appropriately to the group or whoever you happen to be speaking to. And I really love that question, what if. I use it a lot. Well, just a minute. Hang on. Yes, OK, we've agreed on that course of action. But can we take five minutes to discuss what if? Now, what you'll still see happening at that point is most people will still cling to and come up with the old arguments. But if you can pursue it a little further, you might be surprised by the results. If it's creativity in the workplace you're after, or in any group for that matter, you might like to consider a book called The Art of Focused Conversation, published by New Society Publishers in Canada. The Art of the Focused Conversation, 100 Ways to Access Group Wisdom in the Workplace. In essence, it's a book which teaches or shows you a methodology for having non-judgmental conversations, which can really draw out the ingenuity and creativity of a group and open up all sorts of possibilities. But you have to set the scene, and this book will tell you how. I'll put a link in the podcast notes. I'm not sure if it's still published, but I've used it quite a lot in my work, and uh, it's a brilliant model. And by the way, they've got all sorts of different templates or formats, if you like, in this book, different ways of discovering possibilities in different situations, anything from a, a new office decor to preparing an agenda for a meeting, planning an event, reviewing a day's training, or even holding what it calls celebrative or celebrative conversations. So that's it for this episode of Get A Better Handle On Life. I hope you found today's episode informative and useful. If there's anything I've missed or something you'd like to know more about, email me. I'd love to hear from you. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You'll also find me on LinkedIn and on my website. Details in the episode notes. And remember... We're all on a journey and it's never too late to get a better handle on life. Thanks for listening and join me again, I hope. That's all from me, Barry Winbolt. So over and out and goodbye.